Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. This is God's word, reading from verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face, face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as ye will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And we thank God for his word. We're going to look at this passage that Ryan read for us a little while ago. The scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's found in Matthew 26 verses 36 through to 46 this morning. And as we approach this portion of Scripture, let us just bow for a moment as we seek God's face in it, and we ask Him to speak to us this morning and to bless our hearts as we pray to Him. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And this is a particularly heavy passage this morning. Father, we see Your one and only Son, the Savior of the world. And he goes into this garden and he bears the weight of all of our sin. Father, by your Spirit this morning, we would ask that you would deal with us, deal with our hearts. Father, move in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this passage this morning, I want us to imagine this. It's 1 a.m., and you're startled from your sleep by a distant noise of your phone ringing, and eventually you manage to find it, and you man manage to answer it, and the voice on the other end sounds panicked and rushed and distressed, and you hear these words once, but you need them repeated. They're coming for you. Get going. Leave now. You're a Christian missionary in Afghanistan. You're number two on the open doors list of the most difficult and dangerous countries to live and be a follower of Jesus. And you're in a panic, you're disorientated, but you're aware that you're in great danger. You try to grab a couple of items, perhaps your phone and your passport, maybe some money. You live in a compound, but you can hear that the mob are now banging at the gate. You know that other Christians in the area have recently been abducted and are suspected, killed, and murdered. Imagine the fear. 
Imagine what's going through your mind. Imagine being caught and facing a sure death sentence. Well, our natural reaction in that case is to run. It's to flee. Maybe it's to fight, but it's to try and survive. This morning here we see King Jesus. And we see him with his closest subjects. And in the midst of this, in the midst of the mob that's about to set on him, what does he do? He's not plotting his escape. He's not giving out weapons. He's not plotting how to lead a rebellion. He's not trying to gather reinforcements. Why? That's the big question for us this morning. What is going on? Why does Jesus go to the garden? He knows that the betrayers are coming. He knows that those who are going to gather him and lead him away are coming. Why? Why does he pray to his Father? Why does he mention this cup? What is going on this morning in this passage? And as we come to it, we see that Jesus is here in the garden. He's with the eleven, and then he takes the other three. His time is at hand. It has come. And here he goes to this peaceful garden, an orchard of olive trees, and we get in an insight into this most intense prayer between the Father and the Son. And as we look at this, what we want to pull out is that our first point is going to be the sorrowful Savior, and our second point will be the Savior of the sorrowful. The sorrowful Savior and the Savior of the sorrowful. And as we spend time in Gethsemane this morning, and the shadow of Calvary is upon us as we travel with Christ here, this morning, in a gathering this size, I want to ask some straight questions. Are you struggling this morning with your faith? Have you once walked with Jesus, and now you've walked away from him? Perhaps on the surface this morning you have it all together, but if you were pressed, quickly you would deny Jesus. This morning, are you tired? Are you weary in faith? Are you weary in life? Are you just indifferent to Jesus this morning? Perhaps for many of us, we're struggling. Last Sunday evening, we thought a lot about that. Life is a struggle. Maybe for some of us here this morning, we're feeling lost. We feel like we've never been lower in our faith. We feel like we've never been further away from Jesus. Or perhaps this morning, things in family life are tough. Things in work life are tough. Well, this morning, as we travel with Jesus, as we walk with him, as he goes to pray, as we look at this great passage, this morning, just now, pray that the Spirit would stir your heart that you would see Jesus afresh. Because here in this passage, there is much grace for us. The sorrowful Savior. The death sentence has been passed on him. The mocking is coming. The lashings are coming. The punches and the kicks are coming. The spits and the crown of thorns. The nakedness and the nails are all about to come on him. In verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. His soul is overwhelmed, verse 38, with sorrow to the point of death. And in verse 39, he fell on his face with his face to the ground. Look at the pressure. Look at the pressure. Look at the horror that Jesus is bearing. And he needs help. He needs help from his father and he needs it from his disciples. And here we see Jesus, our Savior, at his lowest moment to date. This is a great moment of pain for Jesus. 
And he cries on to his father, and he wants to be with his friends, his disciples, as he cries on them, and he asks them to pull alongside. And an important notice for us on the side today that we're not going to spend any time on, but it's the importance of Christian fellowship. We see it here in difficulty that we go to our father in prayer, but also that we bear with one another in prayer. We can't encourage that enough, that we would pray and be a people who pray with one another. Well, this morning, we don't want to miss the sheer pain and emotional sorrow that Jesus is going through right here in this passage. We've got to pick it up. We've got to see the distress that he's under. He's the only begotten son, the perfect son, and here he's in great torment. And we miss this this morning. We miss who Jesus is. We miss that he is the only son. Listen to what Colossians has to say about him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and earth, the visible and invisible, thrones and dominions or rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the king. That's what Matthew's been pointing out the whole way through. This is the king, and here he comes to this garden, and we can't understand it. We can't understand why a king would leave the realms of heaven and would come down to be with us here on earth. Why would Jesus do it? Why would he leave his father's side? I was trying to think about this. How, how can we illustrate this? And nothing comes close to it, but the only thing I could think of is in some way, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I'm a celebrity, what happens? All these millionaires leave their fancy lifestyle, all the celebrities, and they come to a jungle, and they eat creepy crawlies, and they have to live in them, and go to shower in a river, and all the rest of it. They humble themselves. They leave their riches, and they go to the jungle. Christ here, this doesn't even compare. Christ leaves his Father's place of glory. He leaves his Father's side. He leaves the throne room. He leaves the place of perfection, the place of beauty the place of wonder, the place of majesty and of splendor. And he comes to this world, a world that is broken and destroyed, that is full of sin and temptation, full of death and disease and trouble. It's full of lies and broken promises, weakness, hunger, disappointment, disloyalty, broken relationships, darkness, demons, It's full of hatred and division. Has he lost his mind? What is going on? Why does Jesus come here? What was he thinking? He comes to this earth because he loves you this morning. And he comes in his grace and he comes in his mercy to meet us at our point of need because this was the plan from all eternity that Jesus would leave heaven and would come and take flesh. Why? So that he could bear our punishment. The hymn writer puts it like this, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. Jesus comes this morning for our church. He comes this morning for us and all of our brokenness. And this morning what we do, we often think of Jesus like some sort of superhero. We think if we, we peel the flashback on Jesus that it would be something like out of the Terminator, some sort of superhero under his skin. Jesus is fully man and fully God. This isn't just him treating us like some cavalier moment. He's not just going through the motions. This is genuine. This is what is happening. He feels this real sorrow and trouble in his soul. It's not like he's just standing there with a tick box 
Yes, I've come to live. Yes, I've gathered a few mates along the way. Yes, I've been tempted. Yes, I've brought in the new covenant. Yes, I've healed some people. Yes, I've cast out some demons. Yes, I've said some really profound things. I've caused a stir. I've got myself killed. And I hope that works. That's not what's going on. Neither was it a bit of all, it's all gone wrong, where Jesus goes to the garden here and he prays to his father, look, father, I've got myself in a bit of a situation. Please come and help me. No, this was the plan. This is the only way. And Jesus knew it was the only way. That's why he lets us sit in in this conversation. Why is this in the Bible? He wants to point out to us that there is no other way. There's no other way for us to be saved. There's no other way for his grace to touch and come upon us other than his death. He wants us to see it. No one else could satisfy the price. No one else could overcome death. His disciples meant to be the best, the best, his best followers. They can't even keep watching prayer. This is the way it would have to be. And we see this cup of sorrow. We see it here mentioned. Why does Jesus talk about a cup? What's going on with this cup? We see him just before, Nigel looked at it last week, they're talking about the cup of the new covenant. Well, this cup here is very, very significant. What Jesus is saying, it's, it's drawn on Old Testament language from Isaiah chapter 51, where the cup of wrath, the cup of wrath will be poured out on the nations. Isaiah 51, 22, Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, and you shall drink it no more, and I will put it into the hand of your tormentors. This cup was the cup of God's wrath, and the only person that could drink of it was Christ, his only son. A while ago, the rugby team and myself, we headed away, and we headed for a, a day to team bonding, and it was a day at Ursoften. If you don't know what Ursoften is, it's uh, these guns that fire pallets at high rate and speed, and they hurt a lot whenever you get hit by them. And we decided that we, as a rugby team, we'll go Ursoften. Um, the game that we were playing was called Capture the Flag. So what you have to do, go and try and capture a flag from the enemy's base. And everybody, whenever they go Ursoften, gets the camo gear on, they get the little mask and the gun, and everybody thinks they're either Johnny Rambo or, I don't know, James Bond or Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood if you're into Westerns. Everybody gets really into it. And the boy said to me, look, we'll have a plan. What we'll do is we'll, we'll go in front of you, and I don't know why they picked me. They should have picked someone smaller, but we'll go in front of you, and you try and reach the flag, and get the flag, you win, okay? So here we go. We think this is a great plan. The two boys go in front of me, and we're going up to the base, and the two boys get absolutely riddled. I don't manage to get shot. I manage to get the flag, so we win the game, but they get absolutely peppered. They bear pain. Now, small pain, a small amount of pain, but they bear it in my place. Do we see Christ this morning? Do we see what he bears in our place? This is no little pallet. This is no just momentary pain. This is the wrath of our God. Burn the curse of sin through the whole of the Old Testament. Burn the weight of every sin. And here he's in the garden and the whole weight of it is upon him. Jesus takes the cup that we deserve and he drinks of it every last drop. He gives his people the cup of forgiveness and it's a plain swap. He stands in our place. He gives the disciples this sweet cup and he takes this bitter cup of God's wrath. It's a cup of substitution. Here again, we go back to that same hymn, guilty, vile, and helpless we, 
spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement cannot be. Hallelujah. What a savior. The poison cup that the subject should taste for the king, the king takes here and drinks it for his subjects. The sorrowful savior and now the savior of the sorrowful. A few years ago, I was a community outreach worker in Portadown and one of my jobs, I was involved in Garfaki Road and, and I got friendly with a lot of people down there but there was one man in particular and he had had an extremely difficult life and he had recently, he lived with his brother and he had recently just lost his brother. And what was his savior in the midst of all of this? His savior was drink. In the midst of his sorrow, he turned towards drink. The loveliest man, his friends would often come into the house and drink with him in his mid to late 50s. And here he turned towards drink. He was sorrowful. Sorrow had broken him in his life. The sorrow of this world was heavy upon him. We praise Jesus this morning that he's the savior of the sorrowful. It doesn't matter who we are this morning. It doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done. It doesn't matter what we've got going on in our life. The Bible tells us that we all need the savior. Our world is full of sorrow. A few weeks ago, Nigel announced that if anybody would like to give an hour help to the little community team that's been going out since the Holiday Bible Club, Raymond and Barbara are heading that up. And it was out on Friday, there was a couple of us out, I was out with Barbara, and we were doing the letter pick in the area, and we are talking to people. And within a few moments, talking to two different people on two separate occasions, within a few moments, what's the one thing that came up? The one thing that came up was that they had lost their mum. These were people in their 50s and 60s, broken by sorrow. All of us feel sorrow. And everybody that lives around us here in these streets feels sorrow. And the people that we rub shoulders with that aren't Christians feel sorrow. And that is why we need a Savior. Someone who takes our sorrow and exchanges it for joy. The one who would go to the cross. Why? So that we could wear a crown. And this morning we find ourselves in a garden. We find ourselves in a garden that resembles what? The Garden of Eden. Matthew points us back constantly to the Old Testament. Again, he goes here to Isaiah 51. And in Isaiah 51, he talks about the garden. He talks about how the waste places will be made restored like the Garden of Eden. How in the desert, the Garden of the Lord will be restored. That in wilderness, there will be plenty. In the desert, that there will be a luscious garden. And here we see Adam. Adam was in the garden, right? Adam was in the garden and he failed. He failed all of humanity. And a second Adam would have to come, God's only son, to restore humanity. Three times in the garden, he listens to the serpent talk. He gives three statements. Did God actually say that you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? You will surely not die. And for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Three statements. And then Adam and Eve failed. They saw that the tree was good, that it was a delight to their eyes, and they desired to make one wise. Another three failures. And here the second Adam comes, the one promised from Genesis 3.15, and here he stands in the place, and he delivers where the first Adam failed, he succeeds. In a period of temptation here in the garden, where Jesus could walk away from all of eternity's design, where he could fail and decide to go his own way, he succeeds and he surrenders himself to God's will to the followers, because all is about to be put right. Where all went wrong in one garden, all will be restored in this garden. 
Here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place that is translated as the place of crushing, the Garden of Olive Press. And Jesus here, just before he's crushed, prays in humility, Father, not my will, but yours. So as we close this morning, we think of these why questions. Why does Jesus humbly walk to the garden instead of fleeing to the hills? He does it for you. Why does Jesus pray to his Father? He prays to his Father for you. Why does Jesus mention the cup? He wants you to see that it's for you this morning. Why does he come to earth? He come to die to save you. In our doubt this morning, if you're struggling with that, in our weakness, in our struggles, in all of the situations that we laid out at the start, he comes for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus looks death in the eye and he says, I will have the victory. So here in the garden, we see Jesus with his face to the ground. Why? Because he's all of our sin upon him. Every lie that we ever did or say, every piece of gossip, every moment of anger, every piece of laziness, every sexual sin, every moment of idol worship, every moment of selfishness, every bit of brokenness, every curse was upon him. Every single one of our sins. And the king here, he comes to rescue. This morning, what does he do this for? He does it for our forgiveness. So this morning, don't let sin hold us back. Don't let whatever shame, whatever guilt it is, hold us back. Know that it is dealt with by Jesus here on the cross. I don't know if you've ever watched someone that you love passing away. I'm sure for many of us, we have witnessed that. Last week was mum's two-year anniversary. And in that, I watched how mum was robbed of life. And she went towards death. And if you've been in that place, you're sitting at a bedside and all that you want to do with all of your strength is to help the person, is to give them something of yourself, to give them some strength. You're praying that they would have strength, that they would overcome this. And yet we're helpless. There's nothing we can do. We just sit and we have to watch. Well, here Jesus doesn't just sit and watch as all of humanity crumbles and dies before us before him. He doesn't sit and just watch us idly pass away into eternity lost forever. What does Jesus do? He comes and he takes our flesh to redeem us so that in death we might live. That's what's happening here in the garden. Just as he's about to face Calvary, he sees all of the sin of us. He sees all of our sin upon him. And he prays to his Father, not my will but yours be done. Here's the plan. This is plan A. This is how we're going to save humanity. This is how we're going to save the people in Hill Street this morning. Because whenever Jesus was in the garden, he knew each and every one of our names. It tells us that in John 10, that he wouldn't lose any of them, any of the ones that the Father gives to him. So he knew you this morning. And his face was bowed towards the ground as his soul was ripped and torn apart inside of him as he was sorrowful unto death. He knew your sin and he knew my sin. And you know what? He went to the cross to deal with it so that it would be gone. So that we would live lives as redeemed people, as children of God here in this place, as people under grace and under mercy, under his love this morning for each and every one of us. I don't know about you, but this morning, preparing for this, it humbles you. 
as you read of what our Savior had to go through because of what we have done, each and every sin upon him led. And this morning, Jesus didn't want us to feel sorry for him, but he wanted us to see what he would do, and he wanted us to praise him. He wanted us to respond in worship and adoration, that we would turn our hearts towards him, that we would see his love. So young person here this morning, and you're flirting with the world, and you're walking on the ways of the world, see Christ here this morning. See him and all the beauty of all that he does for us, all of his grace and his mercy poured out on us. Husbands and wives this morning that are struggling, struggling at home, see Christ, see his forgiveness this morning. Older saint, you have walked this road many years, and you're weary. See Christ this morning. Let him kindle that fire inside of you that you may burn brightly for him. I want to quote from one more hymn as we close. These words, these words we can sing because of the Garden of Gethsemane. These words we can sing because of what Christ has done. Then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Friends, this morning, here is the King, and he goes to death for his servants. This morning, let us serve him until our death. Let's bow in prayer. Father, You've given us an insight into the last hours of your Son on this earth. And Jesus, this morning we read of how you were tormented, how the weight of our sin bore heavy upon you. And yet in your humility and in your obedience, you replaced the cup of wrath that we should drink, and you took it and you drank from it, and you bore the wrath of God upon you. Help us this morning by the power of your Spirit to see our sin. Help us to see that we stand forgiven at the cross this morning. We praise you this morning. Let our hearts rise in praise for you, for what you have done for us. And let it inspire us to go and to share this good news, this message of forgiveness and of hope and of joy but it was all at your expense. You deserve our life, and you deserve our all. Help us this morning. Help us to serve you until you call us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.